Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Hey, welcome to another edition of uh, Disciple Making. I'm Tim Beadle with my very dear friend, uh, Darren Ride, and we continue to uh, wade through uh, Damien Girk's work called In the Way, Church as We Know It, Can Be a Discipleship Movement Again, and specifically we've been uh, discussing how people engage with the church, and we've looked at a whole bunch of different things in terms of participation and interaction. Uh, t- today we're going to specifically dig down into uh, what do we do when we have new believers in terms of uh, what do you do with a new believer, Darren? And uh, uh, I don't know what your experience has been in the local church. Uh, I've got a few ideas, but we're going to dig into that for the next uh, little season here. And I'm going to pass over to Darren in terms of um, how long do we have to wait for new believers to really get part of the church family? Yeah. Well, thanks, Tim. Yeah, we're actually this this concept of new believer engagement Really what the question is, is how quickly do we engage new believers on mission, yeah. on the disciple-making mission? And and the point of tension between the legacy church and disciple-making movements is that in legacy churches, it's often delayed. It takes a while to get a new believer engaged in action on mission. Whereas in what we're seeing in disciple-making movements is it's, it's basically immediate, if not even pre-immediate. In other words, yeah. the way the evangelism is done actually begins to move people on mission as they come to faith. And so it's very much immediate. And that really is two very, very, very different tracks. And and I'll just use an illustration that, that Damien does share. It talks about airline pilots, yeah. how they fly their first solo very quickly. Like basically, as soon as they're able to fly a plane without crashing, they do a solo with just a few hours to start pushing them and challenging them to actually do what they're being called to do. And, and there's a direct application to disciple making, I would think. Yeah, when I was 16 and I got my driver's license, so my dad allowed me to drive home from the uh, exam that I passed. And when we got home, he says, okay, now I'm going to get out and I want you to go and drive around for 15 minutes. And I'd never driven in my life without anyone beside me. And it was a different experience. But however, uh, he knew that I knew how to drive. The province of Ontario at that time had just authorized me to be able to drive, uh, but no one had ever given me permission to drive. Mm. And, uh, you know, and since then, it's kind of funny because I, I have uh, kids and grandkids and before they were of the age to drive, sometimes I said, hey, you want to come sit on my lap and I'll let you drive the car just up and down the street a little bit, just just to sort of get them uh, thinking, man, this, this is kind of cool. And... Uh, uh, I told my wife a little later after that, and she wasn't too impressed. But this this is the whole thing. We can't wait. We cannot wait till people are sort of sucked into the programs of the church and sort of the status quo of what it means to be part of a faith community. There, there, there's something cutting edge about a relationship with Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, the the driving analogy, I think, is a good one, Tim. I think of the first time my daughter drove, she got her learners, and we were out practicing, and Here's a failure as a dad. She'd never been behind a wheel okay. ever okay. before that. And we went to this big parking lot and had yeah. her drive up and down. It was an empty parking lot, fortunately. <laughs> had her drive up and down the lines. And she came to an end of the line and went to turn. And she couldn't turn because she didn't know to let go and, and turn the wheel. Yeah. 
And she really was starting from zero. Yeah. And, you know, it would have been so easy over the years to have little opportunities. And it, she'd never driven anything with the motor before. And I think, you know, when we bring people to faith and start them moving ahead, if we think they need to go through all this kind of knowledge ac acquisition before they engage on mission, it's going to take forever and maybe it will never happen. Yeah. And then when you even think of um, people who are very hesitant to be baptized and, well, I have to sort of improve and I get to know this. And, uh, you know, the, the biblical model is they were saved and they were baptized. You know, the, 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 there wasn't this sort of waiting period, this um, uh, delayed response to get on mission with Jesus. And, and when we read through scripture, you know, in terms of Andrew and Philip and the Samaritan woman, the blind man, as soon as they had an encounter with Jesus, they, they, they went and told someone because I think part of this is you don't have to be a sort of an experienced teacher to engage someone else. You just simply have to be one step ahead of them to lead them towards Jesus. Oh, yeah. And so anybody who's come to faith is following Jesus can invite others to join with them and follow and, and, and begin to tell their story. I think back to the tension, Tim, between the two is in our legacy churches, we think it's about, again, almost like a curriculum, a teaching, a content yeah. acquisition. It's almost an academic model. Yeah, A person really. needs to get to a certain level before they can engage in doing the same thing. And yeah. what that does... For disciple making, it creates all kinds of bottlenecks. Yeah, it does. Because yeah. if it's just about teaching content, well, then yes, I need to learn this content before I can teach it. Yeah. And it just slows everything down and multiplication virtually grinds to a halt. Yeah. Multiplication yeah. can happen in that context. Yeah, I love it when you talked about uh, people telling their story uh, because that, that's the basis of our encounter with Jesus. He intercepted our pathway by his spirit. He, uh, the spirit has drawn us to Jesus. And the most beautiful thing is called a testimony. A testimony in the court of law is simply telling what we know. And uh, it isn't so much even well rehearsed, although sometimes it's good when the Bible says, always be ready to give an answer to the hope that's within you if anyone asks. So we need to think about it. But we simply tell what we know. And it doesn't mean we have all the answers to all the questions out there. Very complicated world in which we live. You simply tell what you know. And um, therefore, when I was sort of meditating and, and thinking through this whole area of delayed versus immediate, I, I think sometimes um, the new believer, it's a delayed engagement is because the church isn't ready hmm. to engage them immediately. So it's more a reflection on the legacy model whereby, well, in two months from now, we're going to have a, a, a welcome class, and then you're going to go to a newcomer's experience. And then, you know, Elf is in September, five months down the road, and it's all based on programs that do not perhaps line up chronologically hmm. uh, with the story timeline of the person's narrative in finding Jesus. Oh, yeah, and that, that's the problem when we when we have a one-size-fits-all yeah. program, because it doesn't, one size doesn't fit all, versus that personalized touch. And again, I understand the dynamics of a, of a church where you need sure. to have yeah. you know, some, some things that happen at scale, yeah. but those things that have a scale should not delay the development of a believer. No. If, if that's what's happening, if it's, delaying, if it's delaying the fulfillment of our core mission of making disciples, we need to somehow change it. Yeah, exactly. And so I guess the question is, how do we change it? And what would it look like when it is changed? Uh, I, I reflect um, <clears throat> to 
to a new friend who I had the, the pleasure of walking him towards Jesus and across the line of faith. Uh, I was about to leave for a while, and I was just really anxious that, uh, you know, the goal wasn't to get him to start attending church on Sundays. Hmm. It, it, it was to, to have some, some neighbors who I knew knew him, who are, are good, uh, cared about this fellow, uh, to actually start befriending him hmm. so that uh, in any time, uh, even if he started doubting his faith, he now had people in his life who were walking alongside him. And it became more of a relational, a relational response rather than uh, rules and regulations of what it means to join the church. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's exactly how it happens. And that's, again, that's not exactly what happened. Doesn't happen all the time, but that's the model, Tim, of the one-to-one of yeah. -one and, and the person kind of, you're pulling them forward. I think way back in Legacy Model, the first time I was asked to preach as a part of a youth service, I was 14 or so. And how that, the trauma of that and the preparation <laughs> of that and everything, how it forced me to grow. Yeah. How I grew in ways I would not have grown. And it really began a bit of a progression towards when, you know, quite a few years later, I ended up going to Bible school and moving down into pastoral ministry. That pastor who gave me the freedom to do that, that personal calling forward was a big part of it. Yeah. And so a couple of thoughts uh, in terms of church leadership, to what extent are church leaders challenging those who are believers mm -hmm. to grow up in, in terms of faith uh, maturation to the point that they feel very comfortable just living their life amongst people, shining their light and adding salts and being an ambassador. Uh, is that an expectation only for those, the uh, spiritual elite or the staff of the church or the elders? And on the other end of the spectrum, Darren, um, you know, the, the Bible is very specific about, um, uh, you know, when new life happens, there's a responsibility of, of leadership or, or parents to, you know, train up a child in the way that they should go according to their way. Um, or, you know, back in Deuteronomy, you know, talk about these things to your kids. Now, they're talking in terms of uh, familial situation with families. But in terms of faith, for, from day one, when you have a, a new babe in Christ, you know, you don't just try to stick them in a daycare center and hope you have staff to look after them. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's specific things that we should be doing. Uh, uh, we have to we have to model how to eat properly, how to feed a new baby. And we've talked about uh, discovery, discovery Bible uh, studies in the past. Uh, we have to teach them uh, how to walk, not only how to walk, but where to walk. And, and, and that's what uh, I know Dan Spader says, anyone who claims to be in Christ must walk as Jesus. And so we have a model, like, like sort of like the Simon Says routine, where mm -hmm. our eyes are, are, we're being conformed by the Spirit. You know, the, the, that's Romans 12, but we're not being conformed towards church programming, but towards a person named Jesus. And, and, and then we have to teach them how to talk. That's called prayer. Prayer is listening to God and 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 then speaking to God and then listening for Him to respond. And then also um, how to clean up messes. Babies have a lot of messes. Um, I know what someone says. The thing about babies, they uh, make a loud wailing noise at one end and they have no responsibility at the other. And and basically, uh, new babes in Christ have don't understand stuff. 
and they make messes and, and, and teaching them what messes look and feel like and how we confess and repent and ask for forgiveness and then we continue our walk. So so there, there's a lot of things that need to happen in the life of a new believer immediately, not not some delayed response down the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if we if we think that the goal is to turn this new babe into a teacher. Yeah, if that's correct. if that's the mechanism, the core mechanism for the transmission of the faith yeah. that a gifted teacher needs to teach other people. Again, it can short circuit thing, but you are—I think you already alluded to that, Tim. We're yeah. just asking them to pass on what they're learning as they're learning yeah. it. That's you right. know, down that path, and they're just—they're just passing it on. We're not asking them to be teachers. That's We're right. asking them to be disciples who make disciples, which means following Jesus, inviting others to join, and they're gifted. This may be teaching, but yeah. most likely it'll be something completely different that the spirit works through to bring others with them. And that's the beautiful thing of that. You know, even the, the APS model, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, they might not fall under the T. They might be shepherds. They might be evangelists. They might be something else. And God will work through that as they tell their story to others. Yeah. You know, uh, one of my sons, uh, when he was born, he was a little uh, premature, underweight, and he didn't grow properly. And uh, eventually, in terms of just growing, like there's a certain chart of how big you should be and how you double your sort of birth weight after so many months. So they did a test in the hospital called failure to thrive. Now, now, thankfully, he passed and today he's like six feet tall and all the rest of it. But 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 I wonder if, if they're, uh, you know, in terms of church leadership, if we were challenged by a metric that, that we would look through when we look at new babes in Christ to see if actually we're responsible for not allowing them to thrive hmm. in their walk with Jesus, which again is a, a bit of a, a condemning uh, thought because uh, when you're a discipler, disciple maker, really you're going to reproduce who you are, uh, what you know and what you do, really, uh, because people follow you on the way to following Christ. As Paul says, you know, follow me as I follow Jesus. But, um, you know, this is where the rubber hits the road in this whole age. It, it isn't that new believers aren't, aren't eager, I don't think, to grow their faith. But is the church really prepared or are we slowing down to, to the stalemate pace of just wanting them to fit into something that's already existing? Mm. And I think too, Tim, you know, in a programmatic yeah. legacy church model, we would, you know, we want to maintain quote, a level of excellence yeah. and quality. And I dare say in the back of some pastors' minds, including my own in that role, perfection. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. this, there's this perfect model of how we want things to look. And a new believer can't reach that model. No. A believer no. can, a new believer. And so that, that shuts them out and they have this long pathway to get to where then some might be selected or recruited yeah. to serve in those kinds of ways. And it just, again, it it makes multiplication pretty much impossible and doesn't move ahead. I, I contrast that with our, you know, our little, our little 12 church group and our yeah. discovery Bible studies where everybody has led a discovery Bible study at least once. Yeah. yeah. And they're not teaching it. They're facilitating it. Exactly. We're asking questions, letting the word speak. We had one the other day, a uh, person in our group led it. They're not, they probably wouldn't be considered a gifted teacher. We had an outstanding little study with yeah. direct personal application coming out of that yeah. because we just needed someone to quarterback it, the word in the spirit, a few questions and, and lives are changed really. Yeah. And I think it's important uh, to realize that their growth isn't solely up to us. Like having believed they were, uh, the Holy Spirit 
came to live in them as a deposit, guaranteeing their inheritance in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is active at all times, uh, trying to conform us to be like Jesus. Mm. And obviously, we simply uh, sort of set the stage, create the culture in which they can grow naturally. Or, you know, it's like Jesus and, and the whole church growth movement. He said, I will build my church. All you have to do, it's like, like in agriculture, you can't make plants grow. Uh, you can't make little children grow. All you can do is provide environments for them hmm. to have a healthy environment in which natural things will happen. And in terms of faith, supernatural things will happen. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings a spiritual gift, which hmm. reminds us that, that we are to be part of a faith community. And uh, sort of eventually we find our place in that community. But uh, yeah, I, I, my, my heart is really warmed by by this little section here because if anything, um, uh, we haven't really spent a lot of time on this in the church. Uh, we just want to get them into programs that are preset. And because of that, we, we never really, I, I don't think we ever really catch and find or challenge the potential in new believers. Uh, they simply settle for what they see around them in the church. Mm. Yeah, and I think we need to, you know, to be fair in a disciple-making movement, often it's a smaller group of people. Yeah, We're a smaller yeah. group of people. So things work there that don't work on a Sunday morning with a thousand people, you know, and, and those are the two kind of focal points. But from a remedial standpoint, Tim, I wonder if we were speaking to legacy church people and pastors who I know listen to us here, what could we do in a legacy church model, if we're not in a, an alternative church model like I am, to actually accelerate this rate of involvement of new believers? What do we need to do, quote, structurally, programmatically, strategically to do that? Yeah, well, I'll give you one simple and blunt answer is that pastors and church leaders, elders need to look at their own lives hmm. and to really consider when the last time they spent time with a new believer, uh, fell in love with them for the sake of Christ and claimed them as their own in terms of uh that's, that's what it means to, to lead, not to be the boss of the church, but to be the leader of the church is to lead by example and, and to adopt a person and walk with them. And uh, this, this, this is what happened with my, my friend, uh, you know, a couple months ago now. I said, you realize we're, we're going to be friends forever now because, you know, eventually one of us will die, but then we'll catch up again in heaven. But, but this is a new relationship. I'm going to walk with you. I love you in, the, in Christ. And we're at different places right now. But again, I said to lead someone else, you just need to be one step ahead of them. But it, it means we need, to, we need to get this work out personally. And mm. we almost need to uh, appreciate and respect all that the church, organized church is doing, but realize that, that the journey of disciple making is, is a life on life. So, so that, that, that would be the starting point. And then give church people examples of how to do it. If their leaders are doing it, and, and they see this happening and it's spoken of openly, then they slowly but surely see that, that there's a whole other dimension uh, to what following Jesus looks and feels like. Yeah. Oh, I, I think you, you nailed it there, Tim. Regardless of what our programs are, our structures are, there needs to be the life-on-life -life change. The, you know, one-to-one -one or even one-to-two or three, maybe. Yeah, 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 for sure. But that's how multiplication happens. And, it, you know, there can be, you know, a benefit to having the large gatherings and the worship gatherings, and everything else. But in terms of actually multiplying disciples, I've seen in my own life and in the lives of those I work with, it does not happen without this, this personal contact, personal working, calling forward, modeling, 
encouraging, challenging, you know, picking up when there is a mess. That's just the nature of it. And I don't think there's any shortcut to it. I don't think there's any way to do this, you know, one to dozens and hundreds and thousands. I, I think it has to happen on a smaller scale. Maybe that's why it's so difficult for us, Tim. Because yeah. we've been oriented from the one to many model. That's right. Yeah. And we like the idea of what could happen there, but it doesn't always tend to happen. So in Legacy Church, maybe this is a call back to the basics. You know, yeah, Jesus yeah. had his 12. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, the things you've heard me say, yeah. in the presence of many and trust others who can do it to others. Yeah. And uh, there's really the model of transmission. Yeah. So, so in terms of my life right now, when I look at... Uh, there's there's four men. Uh, Charlie was the first one. Steve was the second one. Eric was the third one. And, uh, you know, in, in more recent days, Randy, uh, he's, he's the newest believer. But they're all at different stages. And uh, it's just kind of neat because it's based on friendship and followership that we're both following Jesus. We learn things together. Uh, but even if I wasn't in organized ministry anymore, these relationships don't change. <laughs> because this, I believe, is the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's wonderful to be uh, part. Uh, one fellow actually moved from, from my town. He lives down in Texas now, but doesn't change anything uh, because we're part of, uh, you know, this movement of making disciples and make disciples. And it can happen anywhere this side of heaven. Uh, so anyway, so so that, that's where I would land the plane today. Just um, start with yourself and pr- pray for the harvest, but make sure when the harvest comes in, uh, we know how to properly uh, steward and be entrusted with those that God is sending to us. Yeah, and just start trusting those young believers and the yeah. spirit in them to take action and to begin to speak and share their story. And I think yeah. we'll be amazed at what happens through new believers just sharing what God is up to right now in it their is. lives. It is. Amen. So thanks for joining us, friends. Uh, please uh, either... Like us on whatever or put a favorite this because uh, uh, another podcast will be coming uh, in the next week or so. And uh, we look forward. Actually, I just want to stop and say, uh, you know, we've heard that over 5,000 downloads over the last year and a half. And um, it's great. Almost up to 80 episodes. And each one is unique. Some of them overlap a little bit. Uh, but it's just been a pleasure with my friend Darren. I'm Tim. And we look forward to sharing this calling, uh, this command. Uh, that we need to obey to be disciple makers of Jesus. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.